Welcome to Packet Pushes, the greatest data networking podcast to have happened on the internet so far. As part of achieving this so-called greatness, we must sometimes poke the darker side of network and systems monitoring. The dark side of network monitoring, I hear you cry. Monitoring gets you visibility, and when you can see what's happening, you might actually not like what you find. And that's the topic of today's sponsored show with Paisler AG, the network monitoring company that I'm sure most of you will have heard of before, and they've really been around for some time and, and working with customers. Now, recently, Troy Merce was using Paisler for a customer system and discovered a nasty happening. Troy is joining us today with Greg Ross from Paisler to talk about what he's discovered and to give some more details on using Paisler to monitor your network and systems. Before we get right into it, if you need any more information, you can head on over to paisler.com slash packet pushes. That's P-A-E. SSLER.com slash packet pushes. They've got some information and an ebook there to talk about using network monitoring for security. All right, let's dive right in. Troy, what was it that you found lurking inside the network? So, in September of last year, I started to observe a new trend in the malware industry, and it was later dubbed crypto jacking. And crypto jacking is basically a combination of the words cryptocurrency and hijacking. What it is, it's basically hijacking your PC, laptop, mobile device or server to mine cryptocurrency for someone else. Um, this can be done simply through a web browser using CoinHive, which is JavaScript, and doesn't require the user to download anything. Um, mm. However, we've seen a few types of crypto jacking malware, or sometimes known as coin miner malware, spreading as well using yeah. various exploits. So it's a bit of software running on the computer, and they're trying to mine some, some of these uh, coins virtual coins that they're talking about are based on the blockchain. And yes. you can make a bit of money out of it, I believe. Yes, we've actually seen a few examples. There was some two large botnets recently. They mined about the equivalent of $3 million um, in each campaign. Nice. Maybe we should get into that, Ethan. It seems like a thing that we're missing out on. Yeah, it does seem like. So, how how did you discover? Because obviously, the idea is is that the malware gets onto the systems, starts to burn up CPUs. I guess is it you know. Yeah. So one thing to note about crypto jacking, um, it's targeting your CPU cycles. It's not like ransomware. Um, it doesn't want to hold your data hostage. It doesn't want to steal your data. It wants your computing power. Right. So once they've got onto your CPU, they start uh, running the cryptographic algorithms to try and discover new coins in the network, I guess. Yes, basically it starts hashing away. Um, the one thing to note about CoinHive is JavaScript. I mean, that's the thing people say, ah, you can mine cryptocurrency with JavaScript. It uses an algorithm known as the CryptoNight algorithm, and this can be run on really any modern PC, mobile device, server, what may, and it doesn't require any specialized hardware. Most people think, ah, you see the Bitcoin farms, you got this mm -hmm. giant rack of you know GPUs or dedicated ASICs. You don't need any of that with this algorithm. Which doesn't mean that the algorithm is especially efficient, I'm going to guess, but, uh, but just the fact that it can run anywhere, and if you can distribute it from a popular website and uh, push that JavaScript into a bunch of browsers, and then that it runs on the local machines, is that, is that how it's distributed and, and does what it does? Yes, no, that's basically correct. Um, it can run, so maybe it's not the most efficient algorithm, but if you have 100,000 machines mining in your botnet, it definitely all adds up to some serious cash. So how did you discover this problem in the network? So the one example I found last year in September was actually a pretty large case um, affecting the website of Showtime Networks. 
their website had presumably been compromised to run this crypto jacking JavaScript code. Um, you know, I immediately notified them, unfortunately didn't get any response back. So I said, hey, I need some sort of monitoring tool. You know, I'm not going to sit there, you know, looking at their website, refreshing the page. Is it good? Is it bad? Mm. And that's where I found PRTG is the perfect solution. I just dropped in an HTTP advanced sensor, you know, made some minor configuration changes. And yep. it monitored for me to let me know, is that m malicious software still on their website? And if not, mm. it'll tell me. So Okay, so advanced sensors, so that means we're talking at an application level to a remote server and digging in at, at layer seven. So we're getting under the hood, we're looking at payload, and, and, and you're doing what? You're looking at that Showtime server and saying, hey, show me, tell me if this JavaScript code is here or is, is not here. Is that what you were doing with the sensor? Yes, it is basically as simple as that. It's just viewing, you know, it's the HTTP, HTTP get, um, view the source code of the site. If this particular string is found, which we know is malicious, then that's when the sensor will alert. Is it still there or is it not there if it's removed? So you weren't looking for CPU spikes or memory consumption. You were actually looking for um, JavaScript injected on the page. Yes, in this example, yes. But I guess you could correlate that because if the code was actually running on the server itself, you could be looking for CPU spikes too. Yes, that's important to note as well as the, the cryptojacking malware, the, the executable form that does run you know, on your workstation or on your server, that is something that will be running in the background of the machine, and that is going to also use a lot of CPU resources. Right. Um, and, and, and in those cases, that is another perfect example where I use PRTG as well to monitor my own infrastructure and my client's infrastructure, because if you know and you see a CPU spike, well, if it's persistent, that's not normal. Typically, applications aren't going to be using 99% or all available CPU resources. That's an immediate red flag right there. Yeah. So you, uh, so what I hear you saying is you're not just using a monitor of CPU or from memory. You're actually using a, a group of monitors to, to overall check the status of the servers themselves. Yes, I, I definitely recommend don't just using CPU alone, but I mean, that is the single greatest indicator of compromise in these cases. High, unusual CPU usage, it's definitely a problem. There is some other factors, of yeah. course, you know, at the network level, but that single factor alone is going to alert you something's not right here. So define high. That sounds like a rhetorical question, but some shops like to run their CPUs fairly high just for efficiency as they spread load across their systems. And, and, and maybe seeing uh, runs up to 80%, not all that uncommon. When you say high in this context, do we mean it's pegged, it's 100%, all cores, et cetera? No, in most examples, in most cases of crypto jacking, it's going to be pegged 100%, you know, which is technically all available CPU resources are being used. But you do raise a good point, and with PRTG sensors, you can go, hit, go in and configure your threshold. So if you do have your workstation or your server um, tuned to a certain level, you know that 80% is normal, well, maybe 90% to 95% isn't, you can tune that sensor to that threshold to have you alert when it becomes a problem. So would this work in the private data center, but would it also work in the cloud? Everybody's going to the cloud, cloud everything, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, whatever you want to call it. It's going to work anyway? Yes. Unfortunately, the cloud is not immune to these type of attacks. 
Um, we've recently seen some high-profile examples. Personally, I've investigated some cases. Um, it's an all-too-common story. Amazon Web Services S3 buckets are not properly secured. So those most definitely can be affected as well. I, I just want to jump onto something because m- most of the people listening will be networking-centric. If you are found a crypto jacking, you're probably not talking about an abuse of the network itself. You're not talking about bandwidth theft or, or causing problems in the latency. So your network monitoring wouldn't show any issues here. Not necessarily. No, there isn't necessarily a high volume of traffic associated because during the cryptocurrency mining process, it is sending those hashes back to the mining pool or the mothership. Basically, you will see a small bump in traffic, but it's not something that's going to uh, tip typical um, intrusion yeah. detective systems. It's not. Yeah, something that's doing application inspection might pick it up, but you're not going to see like you know 100 percent utilization of your WAN links all of a sudden like uh, like a DDoS attack would perhaps. Yeah, definitely not. Right. So, Greg, tell me about some of this this sort of stuff. Is this the sort of stuff you hear from customers on a regular basis? I I would have to say this is fairly unique in my experience. Now, what people are doing, you know, sort of sort of speaking on a long term basis with with PRDG, you don't necessarily hear about these kind of stories. And this is just this has been a fascinating story for us, just finding about a really simple use case to Troy's point about mm. using an HTTP sensor and just looking for a specific string value. Um, right. You know, our conversations are usually more around, um, you know, traffic spikes and, and things like that or looking at your so, VMs. But so, so PRTG has been around for a long time. What is it that most customers normally do with PRTG? What's a standard in deployment look like for customers? Yeah, typically it's looking at switches, firewalls, routers, looking at the health of the devices, and that's going to mm. encompass everything from CPU loads, memory, fans, power supplies, and then looking at interface level metrics from traffic yeah. in and out, broadcast errors, discards, things like that, and then capturing NetFlow and, and other related bandwidth monitoring. And then that usually leads into servers, VMs, and, and their hardware, their storage, looking at more or less everything to get that visibility. Now, one one thing that you know Troy kind of touched upon is getting getting that uh, view of unusual activity. That's that's something that we do out of the box, and and there's some scenarios in which that makes sense to have that unusual um, uh, detection in place on mm-hmm. on a given set of devices, where if it's over 250 percent of normal or 500 percent of what it normally does based upon yesterday's performance or last week's performance, we'll flag that as unusual for for yeah. the administrator. And, so and those threshold are, monitoring, if I suddenly see something doing running across a threshold, I'm going to get an alert because the world needs more alerts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Greg, is it is it fair to say that PRTG is an application performance monitor or would that be stretching it too too far? But I mean I mean what I'm hearing here is the ability to do synthetic transactions, at least against a web server, and I'm, I'm assuming some other kind of apps as well. So would you put yourself in that APM camp? Not exactly. I mean, we definitely play in that space. I wouldn't, we're not looking at the code level of, of a given application, but when it comes to services and processes and, and looking at individual URLs and looking for keywords and string values to, you know, Troy's example, uh, certainly in, and that, so as far as you would consider that to be APM, we we don't necessarily target that per se. But okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's fair enough. I mean, you're not building a whole stack and doing uh, you know transaction monitoring against all the things, uh, but but you can do 
layer seven inspection with a lot of things. So that's that's interesting uh, positioning exactly. what it gets you. Yeah. So Troy, you've used PITG to detect the flaw. What do you do now? Obviously, once the once you've detected this security attack, you've seen the crypto mining in there. What are you doing on the PITG instance to say can't happen again, won't happen again? So I know. So in those cases, I definitely make sure the notifications are tuned. Obviously, if the sensor enters a down state, you know, per my configuration, that means the code's removed. I definitely go in, you know, manually verify and then follow up with the service provider or the client or customer in the case. But it's a good thing to note is you got to tune it to what you need it to do. So if you want an email once the sensor state is down for 60 seconds, make sure it's configured, mm -hmm. or if you have to let it roll, run for a few pull cycles. So it's definitely, it takes a, you know, a small degree of configuration, but it's very easy to tune for whatever need that you need it to do. So what sort of tuning, let's just get into that, because I think, I, I do believe that most people don't consider what probes can be done in this sort of software, in these sorts of systems. What are some of the probes that you're configuring? What, are, what sort of tips and tricks would you like to tell people about what you've been able to do with PRTG? I always recommend the use of remote probes when using PRTG. Um, without them, you're only getting monitoring data from one side of the equation. You, you need to use remote probes to have full visibility on your enterprise or your network. Um, mm -hmm. This is especially true when you have services hosted, let's say, on-premises that are accessed publicly over the internet. So a remote probe then becomes an instance that you go and run somewhere else, say in a public cloud like a Google or an AWS. Is it's like a VM image that I can go and boot there? It, you can run it in a VM image. It can be a bare metal server somewhere in a data center offsite. But I mean, the key takeaway is it's something that's not on your current network or it's mm. not within your current infrastructure. So you get that outside perspective. And so it's actually simulating the customer experience. And it's literally an agent on a server somewhere doing the probes for you so you can see from the outside into your network. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what sort of probes would you then configure from a remote probe? What happens there? Um, it's a good question. One of my most favorite probes or sensors, rather, that requires the use of a remote probe is the quality of service probe. It's a highly configurable sensor that allows you to track all elements of quality of service from jitter, packet delay, and obviously the most important factor, packet loss. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I say it's my most important factor is I want to have a high quality connection, whether if I'm doing a VoIP call, video streaming, or if I'm playing a game. Mm. I need to have a high quality connection. And the quality of service sensor is awesome. And I actually used it recently in my home environment. I was having some unfortunate connection issues with my internet service provider. And the data that I gathered using the quality of service probe, I could say, hey, I know what's happening this time of day. This is the impact. And it was definitely something that helped me provide rock solid evidence and eventually <laughs> make sure that the issue hey, was Carrier, actually fixed. Don't ignore me. Here's the data. You got it. You can't just say he's a nut job. Let him, you know, yes. it, ignore it for a couple of days. It'll go away. No, no, no. Here's the data. Um, so when you're, when you're saying what you're actually monitoring there is you're doing a synthetic transaction. So you're simulating voice traffic or video traffic to make that work. So is the probe speaking some sort of traffic uh, back to backwards and forwards? Um, there's actually, it's a good question. There's actually two types of the quality of service probe. There's a one way where it simply goes out to the remote probe, checks and see how many of those UDP, 
UDP packets have been received. And there's also a two-way where the transaction will also come back to your core server or your hosted probe. So depending on your configuration, you can configure it to be one-way or two-way. A lot of people don't think about the two-way <laughs> because uh, cross configurations actually work in both directions. Just because traffic goes one way doesn't mean the reverse path has been crossed correctly. So that's an, that is a, a viable test in my opinion. So Troy, you're calling these Q QoS monitors, and again, these are going against the probe, so it's kind of like, uh, it reminds me of Cisco's uh, SLA, where you've got some kind of an operation happening from a router off to some uh, other device that's got a remote listener on the other side. It feels like that kind of a thing, and then you're, you're gathering these link characteristics. Now, when you're seeing that data... Um, loss, jitter, whatever it might be. This is all graphed for you. What are the different ways that I can consume the data that I'm getting from those measurements? Yeah, that's a good question. So if you're me, I'm definitely visual oriented. Um, I love looking at the graphs. It makes a lot of issues easier to understand or at least to illustrate to someone else. So all those values, jitter, packet delay, packet corruption, packet loss by PRTG, very easy to see. I can say, okay, well, this time of day on this date, look at the spike of the graph or look at this. It's very easy to illustrate. I mean, if you'd rather prefer to aggregate the data as the raw log, that information is there as well. But for me personally, I definitely like looking at the charts. Do you happen to know if it's possible to pull the data via API or something like that? You know, say I wanted some remote system to be able to grab those metrics. Is that possible or am I just, you know, like, like a typical NMS, am I just looking at the graphs and uh, that way? No, it is definitely uh, possible if you want to integrate with PRTG's um, API. I did actually do that in a past life with a past employer. Um, if you use other tools, uh, log aggregation tools like Splunk, those integrate very easily with PRTG as well. Ah, okay. So that means I can make that data actionable if I want. Uh, and that's that's pretty cool. A lot of the people that listen to this show, they're really getting into automation. And so they are keen to pull data from different sources and maybe have a script that would react to some loss characteristic on a link, something like that. That would be uh, be pretty interesting. Um, Troy, I got another question about deploying uh, probes. Now, I was reflecting back on the HTTP advanced probe that we talked about at the top of the show. Okay, so let's say I want to use this probe to detect against a large number of services. So there's some you know, easy way that I can you know, automate that or you know, set it up so that if I had wanted to create 100 probes, I wouldn't be doing them all by hand? Yeah, no, that, that is a very important question. Um, PRTG actually offers, you can clone devices, you can clone sensors, you can do device templates. And I've actually done that with some of the monitoring that I implemented for websites because I don't want to keep re-entering the information. If I know, for example, that string that I'm looking for that the malware contains, I can put that either in the device template or clone the sensor from another device, you know, in this case, which is a website, and it makes it much easier for you to deploy and much quicker because you're not sitting there re-entering that information each time. Because that sucks. That's super boring. <laughs> so being able to automate that is excellent if you can do that in some way. That's, that's a good deal. Uh, uh, so what about some other sensors that you've been using PRTG for? Um, one of my most favorite sensors, I'm a huge fan of SNMP. I will offer a word of warning, though. I don't recommend running SNMP over the internet you know, or any public networks when possible. If you must, um, I definitely recommend using SNMP version 3 at a minimum, which, of mm -hmm. course, is fully supported by PRTG. 
Um, otherwise, I say on your local network, go nuts with SNMP. I love it. Um, go ahead. V3 is in once you've set it up for authentication and encryption. So at least the data streams that are getting passed back and forth are, are, are all encrypted. You're not pulling. As opposed to SNMP V2. I mean, most of the people listening to the show, I think they're, they'd be well aware of that. But yeah, V2, all your gets uh, and so on, all of that is in the clear. As opposed to V3, once you, which doesn't have to be in the clear, but once you've set up authentication and encryption, then yeah, you can more safely pull your SNMP across a public network. Yes, exactly. And that's why I don't recommend, you know, running that over the internet. If anybody is sniffing or looking at that traffic, they can easily grab your community strings or your read write strings. So definitely encrypt all traffic over the internet, of course, when possible. But on your local network, I say if, if you have it properly segmented, you have the VLAN set up or whatnot, go crazy with it. I mean, my favorite SNMP sensor is the SNMP traffic sensor, and that allows you to monitor bandwidth of really any device that supports it. I mean, Windows servers, Linux servers, any you know Internet of Things devices, networking appliances, routers, switch. Um, it gives you a wealth of information. And again, my favorite part is PRTG will put all that information in a chart and you know give you some actionable, valuable information to pull from it. Now you mentioned SNMP traffic specifically uh, monitoring bandwidth, which is like a that that's a gimme for uh, NMSs. Uh, can I monitor any sort of an OID that I want? Um, with a little configuration, you can. Um, out of the box, PRTG comes with um, the majority. I mean, honestly, I've only had a few cases where I had to tweak that. Most of the out-of-the-box sensors for that will pull, get in there and pull that information you need. Maybe a little bit of tweaking is necessary, but either way, it's very easy to set up out of the box. Yeah, so it knows... Um like, oh, it discovered this device, and it knows it's a Windows device, or it's a Linux box, or it's a Cisco device, and has a bunch of default things that it knows to pull, so it can give you things like, uh, I don't know, CPU temperature, and you know some of those oddball things that are buried. It, it knows what those OIDs are without you having to go configure them. Correct. Yeah, it'll recognize those out of the box. And it's important to note, too, it does come with uh, default thresholds for CPU or memory use or disk free or whatever it may be. If you need to make adjustments and tweak those thresholds, super easy to do. And with that, you can get notified when you need to be. What else you got, Troy? What, give me some other sensors that are interesting. SNMP, everybody's pretty familiar with that. And it sounds like we're getting all the things we would expect to get, including V3 support. Uh, what are some other sensors that are personal favorites of yours? Um, well, some other favorites of mine is definitely the SSL sensor. This is what, something I regard as one of the most valuable sensors in PRTG, and this allows you to track pretty much all the important elements of any SSL certificate that you have deployed on a website. The most important one to me, it'll track the days to expiration. Um, nobody wants an expired SSL certificate on your website. That's immediately uh, going to be a, you're going to you're going to have a bad time when you, you have took that. this in a, in a direction I wasn't expecting. You said SSL sensor, and my brain automatically thought, "Oh, it's just you know, is this box uh, got SSL available or something like that?" But but we're actually getting into the cert, so you can use this as part of your certificate management and, and right tracking expiration dates. Pretty key because. Every single one of us that are listening to this show right now have had that day where the certificate expired. Why is the website down and everyone's calling? And we didn't renew the shirt. How long will that take to get done? I don't know. I'm working on it. So knowing ahead of time is really great. 
What yeah, about Windows no. servers where SNMP isn't so great? So the Microsoft hasn't uh, historically treated SNMP as a first-class citizen, shall we say? In those cases, I definitely recommend using a WMI sensor in PeerTG. And those two cases, my two personal favorites are the basics of monitoring a service or monitoring a process. And the cool thing, if you do monitor a service with PeerTG, you can actually configure the sensor to restart the service if it ever enters a, a stop state. Um, it's not a replacement, of course, for your system administrator, but I definitely think it can save you a headache when one in the morning it stops working and PRGG comes in and says, okay, I'm going to restart this service. You get the notification. Okay, it's back up. I'll check it in the morning. Mm. And what about if you've got remote services? So one of the other things that we often see now is it's important to start checking remote APIs. So things like Office 365 or if you're talking to Salesforce, did you, you've been able to do those with PRTG as well? We've had a number of customers that have, have implemented this as part of our basically a, a flexible platform where they can use their own PowerShell scripts and they can communicate with APIs uh, either using an HTTP advanced sensor or, or again, actually using their own PowerShell scripts or, or other script files within a script sensor. Uh, so one of the things we've done over the, over the past year is we've collected hundreds of scripts that have been written either by our support team, development, or our customers and partners. And we've put them all up into what we call script world. Um, so things things like this, we're starting to to capture more and more to to give that. It may not be native, but it's something that's easy to implement. Mm. Uh, now, in the case of some of the some of the Azure in in Office three sixty five components, uh, that is more more custom um, API uh, work. But again, uh, most customers like to publish that stuff and, and make it available. And we've we've had a lot of success with providing that to other customers. So this means that um, there's a forum and a capability to get access to what other people have done. There's a place where I can share what I've written and, and other people can give me tips on what they've done to extend the product? Definitely. I mean, we're not an open source solution, but the folks that come over from the Nagios and the Cacti and the other open source solutions out there really appreciate the fact that they have that same kind of flexibility and customization, even though they're into a a Windows-based solution. So, Troy, we've been talking through a bunch of different sensors here, and uh, I was going through the, the the notes that you so dutifully prepared in uh, in preparation for the show. <laughs> and uh, there's a couple more that stand out to me. One is is kind of narrow but interesting, and it's a storage-related one uh, for people that are familiar with Synology and Synology Network Attack Storage. You got a little bit of a story behind that. Yeah, I actually had a recent use case right here at home um, monitoring one of my Synology NASes, and I got an alert that one of the disks was full, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Um, you know, I, I, I have a finely tuned backup scheme. It prunes the, the old images, you know, make sure it's finely tuned, and I got the alert from PRGG, and I took a look, and like, the disk is full, and sure enough, the last backup plan update that I did did not go through correctly, and luckily, PRTG alerted me ahead of time before the next backup job had attempted, which, of course, would have failed. So it definitely saved me a little headache hmm. there. Hmm. Just, just throwing it out there, are there other plugins that uh, PRTG has for, for storage, either uh, you, Troy, or, or, or Greg, if you happen to know? Yeah, we, we support a number of, of SAN and, and NAS devices from 
NetApp, QNAP, uh, Synology, as, as Troy mentioned. Uh, we've built sensors for for Buffalo, HP Sands, and mm. recently for EMC storage as well. Um, that that one's an interesting use case because it is a REST-based sensor, and that's something we've been seeing more and more. At, mm. REST-based as in you, you've got to do a REST API call to pull the data, then, then parse it and get your statistics that way? Right. So we're pushing that information into PRDG from the device directly as opposed to the traditional polling method. Oh, so I, okay. Yeah. yeah. So as, as devices are going away from typical SNMP configuration where, especially within the IoT space and in some, you know, Raspberry Pis and things like this, that we can, we can use REST-based sensors to, to push that information right into PRDG. Um, now, in the case of the EMC devices, those are those are pre-built. Now, a lot of our customers, again, going back to that customization standpoint, they're they're writing their own code yeah. in many cases to to push their application data right into PRDG. So they're able to parse that, put separate metrics into different channels, and have all of that tunable functionality so they can well, they have alerts on specific. Oh, that's interesting. Right. It feels more like telemetry. It's interesting. Rather than just being, you know, 100%, it's the polling engine. And when the poll runs, therefore, you will get data. Now you've got the ability to, to just accept it inbound as well, uh, which seems to be where the world is heading long term anyway, getting away from polling and into telemetry. Feed me what you got in real time, and I'll munge it and do things with it. Agreed. That's that's a really big priority for us right now is is transitioning to to some of the more modern technologies and 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 again we're we're seeing that with in the IoT space and the industrial 4.0 hmm. uh, applications where, where those devices are giving us the information so then we can. But you're moving with that mark. You're moving with the market. You're following where people are going, and you'll have solutions that integrate into your platform for those things. Absolutely. Our one of our biggest priorities is is the IoT space and tying in with uh, MQTT clients and um, yeah. other other IoT. So I guess the main thing that's coming out of this is that PRTG is moving forward, and you're bringing in the new ways of monitoring and telemetry that we're seeing emerge in the market. That's one of our biggest priorities right now is transitioning to some of those newer technologies, whether it's using client broker technologies or or push data from specific applications that can give us... at the us same time, if you're a standard enterprise, you've got the standard setups for a lot of the existing devices. So if you've got various servers or various storage systems or various networking devices, there's already monitors and stuff built straight into the PRDG product to add them, snap them straight in with a minimum of setup. Definitely. And so with, with PRDG, there's those... 250, 260 plus sensors that are you know, the native, the out of the box sensors uh, that Troy's been, you know, kind of highlighting today. Um, but beyond that is that flexibility and customization to write your own code, write your own script, talk to the API, push that data in the form of JSON or XML data as well. Mm. Troy, one more sensor that I noticed in this list that grabbed my interest because it isn't what I thought it was is the SSH sensor. Can you describe that one? Yeah, no, as Greg mentioned there, I think that's a perfect lead-in. Um, SSH sensors, there's a variety of them. Um, the ones I mainly use are an alternative to SNMP. Um, of course, SSH is fully encrypted, run it over the public internet without any security concerns. That can go to your remote infrastructure, grab the values that we've been speaking of, like CPU, memory, disk usage. Um, if you use a uh, a server like a Linux server, for example, um, as best practice, I recommend provisioning a ded dedicated account 
just for PHTG to keep the access, you know, and the permissions segmented. Don't just give it root access blindly. Um, mm. With that said, once you have it set up properly, there's also other SSH sensors. You can do an SSH custom script. Um, your remote server can have a script on it. P PRTG goes out and executes it. And then that value can get piped back to PRTG to give you the information you need. You know, if something's wrong, then this value is returned. PRTG will alert you. And that really is the sky's the limit at that point, because uh, I've actually worked in places where we had custom bash scripts inside to return metrics back to platforms to to and then chart that. So I could summarize what's actually happening inside of the system and it even do further customization, if that made sense. Absolutely. It's pretty much un, uh, endless possibilities. You can grep out whatever you need, have it return whatever <laughs> value. And then, of course, again, as my favorite part, you can put it into a chart. <laughs> you and your charts, yeah. yeah. Uh. There's nothing like a graph to really quickly see what's happening. And mentally, you can very quickly work out what's going on sometimes just by flipping through the charts. I, I spent many years just on a Monday morning coming in and going over all the graphs to make sure that everything was working the way I thought it was and then put them away for the week and maybe check them again on Friday before I went away. Yeah, that's very visual, but it it's actually quite powerful because it does uh, give you quite a lot of feedback on what's been happening. Uh, so, Greg, I want to ask a quick question around hybrid cloud or multi-cloud. Everybody's talking about moving something to the cloud. Now, now, most people haven't got there yet, but they all got it on their mind that they need to know if something goes to AWS or GCP or Azure, they need to do something. What sort of things are you seeing customers who are early movers there? What are they doing that you've seen? Yeah, the biggest thing that they're asking, first of all, is how do I get visibility to every environment that I have or, or all of my infrastructure, if I have Azure, if I have AWS or these other environments. And as Troy mentioned before, the remote probe is that first step to get visibility into those different environments, depending upon the connectivity to the, each of those sites or each, each part of their infrastructure. The remote probe gives them a lot of flexibility to monitor anything within that particular environment. Now, the second piece is, is using the native API uh, availability. And, and one thing that we've done within Pessler as part of PRDG is, is build in CloudWatch uh, API integration so we can we can monitor the RDS and SNS and SQS and um, EC2 right, right from within PRDG. So communicating directly to CloudWatch. Uh, some interesting use cases there are looking at billing alarms and looking at your your utilization. So what what PRTG does and is is helpful in doing is consolidating customers yeah. that have multiple Amazon accounts are across regions. So what what typically happens is you have monitoring but it's going to be limited to the region but within PRTG you can ut utilize a few different accounts within a single PRTG installation and get visibility to all of your regions. And Yeah, because yeah. um, AWS treats all of the regions quite autonomously. They don't exactly. roll up much for you unless you get into some of their more advanced tools, which cost you more money <laughs> and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I can see how bringing some of that together. But you're working to extend the product into those hybrid cloud, those mm -hmm. multi-cloud environments. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the SSH example, I can I could use CloudWatch sensors and a combination of SSH to communicate directly to um, EC2 or or look at look at S3 buckets as well. Mm -hmm. So, I Troy, like how, how big of a box do you need to run PRTG, and and does it run on Linux? Do I need Windows, etc.? Because I'm actually thinking about trying this. Um, PRTG does require a Windows environment. 
but honestly, in my experience, the footprint is very small. If, if you want to run PRTG in a VM, that's perfectly fine. Um, best practices, if you do plan to have a lot of sensors, um, you know, try to do bare metal when possible. But in my experience, it's it's a fairly lightweight application compared to other applications out there. Now, is it writing to a backend database where I do have to have some heft and some yet some other box, or is it all self-contained? Um, it is pretty much self-contained, you know, within the installation. You don't need to, you know, make any manual configuration changes to the database or, you know, to the actual web interface itself, unless you want to do additional levels of configuration or security. Um, one thing I will mention, um, Pestler did actually add a new feature to PRTG recently, and it was a dark theme for the web <laughs> user interface. <laughs> You're a security guy, so of course that's that's crucial. <laughs> so if you're like me and you're tired of looking at bright white screens all day, I highly recommend enabling that option in the UI settings. That's customer focus right there. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I don't have to run uh, PRTG on my own server, right? There, isn't there – you guys had a SaaS offering for this, if I remember right, right? Isn't that right, Greg? Correct. Yeah, we have PRTG in the cloud. It is an AWS-hosted offering. So it's really the same product. It's just – hosted for you. It's a subscription-based as opposed to, you know, your typical perpetual license for an on-prem installation. Now, we do have a lot of customers running it on their own from AWS or Azure or their own private cloud, but if you want to go that subscription route and kind of have that flexibility to go up and down or uh, whenever you need as far as the sensor count goes, you've got that available. Got it. So if a customer wanted to get out there and start trialing the product, where would they go first? Well, Pestler.com is is a place to start, and MyPRTG.com is kind of the landing page for uh, cloud for our hosted offering. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can you can find it either way. So there's two choices there. One way is to head off to MyPRTG, maybe get a go at the cloud environment, and start having a play and seeing if that's working for you. Or I can go and get a trial version downloaded and install it in my network and have a bit of a play there. Is that what I'm, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so there's plenty of ways for people to get started. So I think we're just about hitting the end of today's show with Paisler PRTG. And I think what we're seeing here is that the evolution of monitoring into the next generation, embracing a wider set of things, and the fact that you can actually start to detect crypto jacking, detect it and then repair it and then monitor for it, is sort of a sign about how things are advancing. So if you haven't thought about tools in this sense, uh, I'd like to thank Troy Mersch for joining us today. Troy, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Yes, thank you for having me today. Um, I'm a security researcher. I'm currently fo focused on crypto jacking, botnets, and other forms of network abuse. Um, I recently co-authored a peer-reviewed paper titled A First Look at Browser-Based Crypto Jacking, which is available on my website, badpackets.net. So if you're new to the topic of crypto jacking, I'd say it's definitely worth a read. Uh, this is a trend in the malware industry that's not going to go away anytime soon. Um, I'm also most active on Twitter. Follow me at bad underscore packets or search for bad packets report. Thanks very much for joining us today. And thanks for taking the time to tell us about your stories. Greg, why don't you tell people where they can find more about Pesla? Yeah, uh, Pesla.com is our homepage, of course, along with you can find us at Pesler AG on Twitter as well as uh, Pesler on Facebook if anybody still uses that. 
Now, when we say Pessler, that's P-A-E-S-S-L-E-R, and they have created a special landing page, go.pessler.com slash packetpushers. Head on over there, and there is a free ebook which talks about network security. You can download that ebook and get some education and information. And if you just want a free trial of PRTG, go to pessler.com slash PRTG and find more about the tools that we talked about today. But for the security ebook, again, it's go.pessler.com slash packetpushers. And I think that's a wrap, Greg. And we're always, thanks for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine free technical podcasts along with our community news and blog site at packetpushers.net slash archives. Follow us on Twitter at Zach Packet Pushers. Find us on LinkedIn, like us on Facebook, and rate us on iTunes. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.